Would you do me a favor and let's celebrate those visiting for the first time. Come on, let's not let them feel the love. I do just want to say it's really good to have you here. If it, if it is your first time, we are really grateful that you're visiting with us. And um, it's, it's my honor just to, just to welcome you and, and, and say thank you for joining. And we know that, that sometimes coming to church, if you've not been for a while or it's been a, a, a season, we know that that can be a, a difficult task. And we hope that you've had a good time so far and been encouraged in your faith and, um, man, just inspired by God's nearness and knowing that he loves you. And i also like to highlight, if it is your first time on your way out today, we've got just a small gift um, for, for being with us, a way that we can just say thank you again for joining with us. And I, I do like to start every message, it seems like every recent message, with, uh, with a little funny, okay? I like to set our expectations about here, okay? And then we'll go up from there. <laughs> especially with today's funny, but uh, uh, um, y'all ready, okay? You alert. I feel like sometimes my, my funnies, um, they, they, they take a minute to land with y'all, man. So um, let, let's, re- let, let's be ready. I know you are. I've got two. They're pretty quick. Um, I've got two for you today on this Palm Sunday. Thought it'd be appropriate to share two, and uh, next week I'll share five. No, I'm kidding. We'll just go with two. <laughs> I don't know if I will on Easter Sunday, but um, joke number one. All right, joke number one. You ready? All right. An elderly woman walked into the local country church. The friendly usher greeted her at the door and helped her up the flight of steps. Where would you like to sit? He asked politely. The front row, please, she answered. You, you really don't want to do that, the usher said. The pastor is really boring. <laughs> Do you happen to know who I am? The woman required. No, he said. I'm the pastor's mother. She replied indignantly. Do you know who I am? He asked. No, she said. Good, he answered. <laughs> all right, all right. That was so good, I'll go into number two. Okay, okay, all right. All right. A preacher visits an elderly woman from his congregation. As he sits on the couch, he notices a large bowl of peanuts on the coffee table. Mind if I have a few, he asks. No, not at all, the woman replied. They chat for 90 minutes or so and... As the preacher stands to leave, he realizes that instead of eating just a few peanuts, he's emptied most of the bowl. I'm terribly sorry for eating all your peanuts. I really just meant to eat a few. Oh, that's all right, the woman says. Ever since I lost my teeth, all I can do is suck the chocolate off them. A <laughs> little gross, a little gross. If this is your first time, the coffee card is an apology for my bad sense of humor, okay? (laughs) All right, all right. Well, now that I've wasted almost five minutes of my allotted time, I am excited today to preach and teach on this Palm Sunday. Those of you um, who grew up in maybe a, a, a more liturgical or formal church experience, 
uh, you know that today is really the beginning of what is called Holy Week. It's a significant week um, in the church calendar. And as if you have, let me say this, as you've read the gospel, or if you haven't yet, you should know, this is a significant week for the life of Jesus. Uh, in his life, this um, week of seven days, all the way from really eight days from this Sunday through next Sunday. It carries a significance in the life of, of the believer and those who follow Christ. And today marks the beginning of Holy Week, and that it's called Palm Sunday. It's called Palm Sunday for a significant reason and, and somewhat of an obvious reason. It's that on Palm Sunday, Jesus would enter Jerusalem. Now, not for the final time, but really for one of his last trips to that fateful city. And the um, growing crowd would lay before him on the ground palm branches as he would enter Jerusalem. And so this um, Sunday has always been tethered to the story in the gospel, the beginning of a journey of Jesus that would not end at the cross. It would end with his resurrection. Amen, somebody? But for our sake... It led to the cross. And I want to take a few moments and share on this Palm Sunday about what it would have looked like, but here's how I want to do it. We are also subsequently or simultaneously wrapping up a series on the Lord's Prayer. And we have been looking at the Lord's Prayer over the last six weeks, line by line by line, recognizing how it's not only a powerful prayer, for our daily lives, but it's also a direction for our daily lives. I wholeheartedly believe, as the Spirit, as only the Holy Spirit can, breathe on this prayer and breathe on your life. Slowly but surely, we begin to be transformed into Christ-likeness. It's not the only way we're formed into Christ-likeness, but it's a significant way as we partner with God in prayer. And I like to, I've shared this almost every Sunday, the beginning and ending of each day, and sometimes in between, we say the Lord's Prayer. Now, in the morning time, I, I pray it solo. At the end of the day, I've been praying it with my two daughters. And there are times, I'll do a, a, a short version with Kelly before we, we, we lay our heads down to sleep. And what I've, what I've found is that it is important for us as believers. It's similar to a favorite verse or a favorite passage in scripture that you may have. That when you walk through troubled waters, or you walk through maybe a promotion, a blessing in your life, there's a scripture you'll reflect upon, or maybe a story from the Gospels. Well, the same is true for the Lord's Prayer, is that we can come up under His leadership. And we get the Lord's Prayer from a conversation. You may have got it from... <laughs> attending a Sunday school class, or depending on your tradition, maybe going to a catechism class. You may have had to memorize it and learn it, or maybe you have experienced the time of confession and you were given some Hail Marys and a few Our Fathers to pray. So the last thing you want to do is pray the Lord's Prayer again, and here you are. But let me encourage you, make it fresh, make it anew, let God uh, burn the fire again, so to speak over this prayer, that it may get rooted in your life. It comes from a conversation Jesus had. Um, he wasn't, I don't believe, planning on having it, 
But one of his disciples came up and said, hey, would you teach us how to pray? Would you show us the way of prayer? There's something about your life. There's something about your supernatural capabilities. And, and you're leading and leaning on the Spirit. There's something about your sacrifice. There's something uh, about the way you're not storing up treasure on earth, Jesus, that you're not uh, falling for the uh, Roman politics scene, but you are remaining true to God. How do you do it? And I believe one of Jesus' answers was to gift his disciples the Lord's Prayer because he had been practicing, he had been praying, and he had been saying it. And in fact, Luke 11, 2, it says, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. And then he goes in to the Lord's prayer. Well, we've been working our way through it. And today we've got the final line. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Beautiful ending to the prayer the line that, that, that leads our mind and our heart upwards again, a line that is again a seed of surrender and submitting and reminding ourselves that it's His kingdom, somebody, that we want to do things in and through His power, and that ultimately our names will not be remembered a hundred years from now, but the name of the Lord will remain and endure forever. And that's the posture of our life. That is how we want the working of our hands, the cultivating of our relationships, our marriages, our families, our parenting, our associates at work, our community um, touch points. We want to ultimately be bringing glory and honor to God. Amen? All right. Well, no easy task to combine Palm Sunday and the end of the Lord's Prayer. Well, I'm going to try, nonetheless. And y'all going to endure it. I mean, enjoy it, okay? So kingdom, power, and glory. Let's get those three words in our mind. Kingdom, power, and glory. Something you need to know about Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It was not known as Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday. It was known as the week of the festival of Passover. And Jerusalem had gone from a roughly 20,000 people to, by some estimates, over 250,000 people. It had ballooned. It was like thunder over Louisville on steroids. If you go down to the Ohio River at noon on a typical Thursday or Friday this week, try it out. Not a whole lot going on. But you go on Thunder Over Louisville, how many of you know there's a whole lot going on? A whole lot of chaos? A whole lot of crazy? A whole lot of people? Well, Jerusalem was similar. You would have Jews, Israelites, from across Israel make what is called pilgrimage. Passover was one of the, the more sacred festivals. During the more sacred festivals, if your family could afford it, you would make sacrifice all year financially in order to make the journey to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, when Jesus comes on Palm Sunday, is packed out. 
It's gone from 20,000 to 200,000 plus. Some estimates even have it at a million people. I've been to Jerusalem. Thank the Lord there was not a million people when I was in Jerusalem. It's not huge. But it was packed on that Palm Sunday, and it's charged with a group on Jewish pilgrimage. The temple is packed of faithful Jews making sacrifice before the king to atone for their sins and their wicked ways of living. But it's not only charged with those on Jewish pilgrimage, it's also charged with Romans. Jerusalem was under Roman Empire rule and reign. And somebody had to keep order whenever a quarter million Jews were going to flood Jerusalem. And that man goes by the name of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate wouldn't be coming in the western gate. Pontius Pilate would be coming in the eastern gate of Jerusalem. He would have left his famous surroundings in what is called Caesarea Maritima. You're welcome. He would have left and gone with thousands of troops, and he'd be traveling, no doubt, on his infamous war horse. And they would be making the journey all the way in to Jerusalem, coming in the eastern gate. All the inhabitants would have been drawn and had, had attention given. As Pontius Pilate, thousands of foot soldiers are making their way in. If you're familiar with movies that, that are reminiscent or set similar time frame, you can uh, envision in your mind what the, the Roman infantry would have had on, right? They would have had on their sandals. They would have had their swords. They would have had their shields. They would have had their leather, um, leather attire on. And they would be carrying with them the rule and the mark of Rome. And so peace would prevail, but Roman peace always came with a cost, as in no rebellion. They were not afraid to end your life or the life of those close to you if it meant that peace could prevail. And so Jerusalem is, is in this air, if you will, this, this kind of aroma of tension, of, of, of a, a, a tipping point sorts. It is the kingdom of Rome. It is the power of Caesar and Pontius Pilate and their good friend, King Herod, who would be the local ruler of the time. And it is glory such as given as up into that point of history, only Caesar alone would be given the name of King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And one Caesar would even call himself the very Son of God. Kingdom, power, and glory. These were words not uncommon for the Roman rule during the Roman age, during the Emperor Tiberius who was there when Jesus was born, to the Emperor Caesar, who would be ruling and reigning when Jesus would die on a cross. And yet, here you and I are, 2,000 years ago, and other than what I just brought to your attention, you probably haven't been thinking about 
Roman Empire. You probably haven't been reflecting heavily on the power and the thumbprint of Rome and rule. You certainly haven't been singing hip worship songs with a good beat about Caesar. That would be strange. (laughs) Yet, 2,000 years on, here we are singing about the kingdom of heaven, the power of God that is able to save, heal, deliver, the glory of God, the beauty and the wonder, the magnificence that is in the name of Jesus. What happened? Well, in a simple term, Jesus happened. Palm Sunday happened. Holy Week happened, and it upended the power and principalities of Rome and also of the devil and his working. The kingdom of God comes to each and every one of us. Jesus, our Savior, saving us, amen, from the bondage of sin, of darkness, and death. But the kingdom of God comes in some unorthodox unpredictable ways. Rome was pretty predictable. They were just another war machine in the line of Babylon, Assyria, Greece, Alexander the Great, somebody, and then Rome. Here is Jesus of Nazareth. And he comes in in Matthew chapter 21 from the eastern gate. Or Western Gate, excuse me. Approaching from Bethany, just beyond the Mount of Olives. And it is titled the Triumphal Entry in my Bible. Listen to this. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage in the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and that he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle. What? Riding on a donkey. What, what? On a colt. The fall of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Remarkable imagery. The kingdom of Rome coming with the power and the magistry and the war horse. Pontius, Pilate, probably had some music blaring, blasting. You'd imagine Pontius Pilate didn't 
succeed and enter that title easily. It wasn't given to him as a birthright. But you can imagine him striving, him leading, conquering armies of Roman foot soldiers and infantry into battle and destroying other nations, maybe even portions of Israel itself. Pontius Pilate on a rage here to enforce the rule of Rome. Starkly contrasted with your, hopefully, and my Savior, King Jesus. Coming, not even on a donkey, but the foal of a donkey, somebody. It's come on like Zechariah, get your point across, man. The way and the word of peace, the calm, the generosity, the confidence, the security of the kingdom of heaven invading earth. Now this stays true to the life of Jesus as he's born in Bethlehem. Like, you're going to make a difference. You're born in Rome, not Bethlehem. And yet King Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the town of David, in the back hills of Judea. It's so antithetical to sometimes how you and I envision the kingdom moving. And yet, time and time again, we see God moving in unorthodox, subversive ways. Think about how he moves in our lives, quietly, calmly. I think about the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah had did some big things for God, especially on Mount Carmel, somebody. And moments later, he moved from Mount Carmel to the foothills of a different mountain. And he was used to God showing up with earthquakes, with fires, with loud sounds. But the scriptures say God wasn't in any of those moments. But then a soft whisper approached the cave. And it's at that moment that God spoke to Elijah. In a similar form and fashion, to the people who were hearing, to the people whose hearts were postured towards the Lord, they could hear. And they would have heard the Roman foot soldiers shoot. They were probably surrounded by them. And here Jesus makes way quietly, borderline silently, but for the crowds, declaring his praise. The kingdom of God enters Jerusalem, and the people cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The kingdom of God comes in some unorthodox and strange ways, and yet for those of us ready, praying, willing to listen, it comes to each and every single one of us. And on Palm Sunday, it came in a way that they did not anticipate. But it came to upend the typical cycles of, of, of kingdom and empire. It came in peace. It came in the form of agape love. Non-manipulative love. Non-self-seeking love. It came with God in a bod. God with skin on. In a self 
self-sacrificing love that we talk of today as agape love. The willing heart of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. That through his entrance into death, he would give you and I life. The kingdom of God had come. And here we see the Lord's Prayer. It says, yours is the kingdom. Like I like at the end of the Lord's Prayer, I'm like, okay, God, i got to remind myself, yours is the kingdom. Your kingdom comes in kingdom ways. Your kingdom comes in kingdom ways. Your kingdom comes every time, every time I obey your word. I am putting the kingdom of God out there. Like, so when a conversation goes sideways, and none of us pull fists, amen, but say we did. In the kingdom of God, it shows up when we choose to lay our fists down and say, you're not worth it. Just kidding. Don't say that. But in an argument, you just... <laughs> fight or flight, baby. No. You, you, <laughs> you put your hands down and you say, man, I forgive you. Or, and walk away. The kingdom of God shows up every time vengeance is on the table and we choose peace. Kingdom of God shows up in remarkable ways. Sometimes in simple ways, as familiar as the two words, I'm sorry, forgive me. Kingdom of God shows up when we choose generosity instead of selfishness. When we choose to honor the ways of the Lord and the teachings of Jesus above and beyond what our flesh and our emotional intelligence at the time tells us to do. We take the high road of Christ. And Jesus' teachings are not just good advice. They're the good news our souls are crying out for. And Jesus says it's better to take a hit. It's better to go through life with one eye than be lusting up all over the place. Better to go through life with one ear than be listening to all sorts of things. The remarkable ways of Jesus and his disciples, you can imagine, were envisioning this. They were seeing this. Some of them were frustrated. Judas being the primary one. What is with this donkey? I thought we were leading a military plot. A coup. I'm quite convinced, and I'm not the only one. I'm quite convinced Judas was anticipating a coup. And what did he get? Talk about a wah, wah, wah. King Jesus? Like, how's this going to work out? Hmm. <laughs> and Jesus probably like, trust me. Nah, I can't trust. You were trustworthy until you, you went ahead and sent them on to go get a donkey. Like, up until that point, I ha you had me, Jesus. It's true. It's remarkable. The kingdom of God, it sometimes approaches. And listen, it would be nice on a Palm Sunday to kind of keep it out there. Let's keep the distance. But what about our own soul and the areas, the arenas where God's poking and prodding and he's, he's just asking us to trust him, to trust him. Not trust in our own strength, not trust in our own control, but to yield. Amen, somebody? End of the Lord's prayer. 
where do we find ourselves? Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Forever and ever. Right? It's about his kingdom and his ways. Like, and here's the deal. There's no accountability, right, for those not following the ways of Jesus. I mean, sometimes they bug and annoy us, but reality is it's not like, come on, man, kingdom of God. No, there's no accountability. But for those of us who follow, we've got to lean in and remind ourselves this holy week, man, we've been in a season, right? Learning the ways and the words of Jesus, particularly how to pray. It begins to form us from the inside out. So we, so we get the kingdom of God. And if that hasn't rattled you enough, <laughs> just wait. i got two more thoughts, all right? Kingdom of God. Let's talk about for a moment the power of God. Now, the power of God is real to seek and save the lost. The power of God is willing and able to heal. We love the power of God when it's on display. But the power of God referenced on Palm Sunday on Unholy Week is not a power that is in authority and control. It is a power yielded to the word and to the ways and to obedience to the Lord, his ways of doing things. I want you to see something fascinating from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. The, this is now chapters on in the gospel of John from the triumphal entry. Still now we're in Holy Week. For some of you, with a bit of a liturgical background, this is that Maundy Thursday coming up. This is from that significant meal that they would share together. John 13, 1 through 4. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, think about that, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. All things. Is that the Roman Empire? Yeah. World history? Angels? Demons? Yeah. All things. All things. All th Jesus, what you going to do? What you going to do? He put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What, what? You did what? With who? Again, not to pick on Judas, but you know Judas is like, what is going on? Jesus, this is ridiculous. This is what the servants do. Why would you humble yourself? Peter, Peter's about to push Jesus away, be like, well, psh, you're going to do that. Wash all of me. Typical Peter. 
But this is power turned on its head. God in Christ is revealing a power that is motivated by love, not title or popularity, but a love that is self-sacrificing and generous in every way. Jesus finds a towel when the religious leaders are chasing titles. Remarkable. Like, Jesus is now alert. It makes you wonder, like, has he always been alert or now he's alert? I think now he's alert. Whew. Everything, everything, everything is under my power. Everything. God has magnificently put everything under my power. But Jesus had passed the test. After his baptism, he's led into the wilderness and faced three, not casual temptations, but three major temptations, another message, another time, that aren't trivial, but life direction organizing. From Satan himself would tempt him. With scripture, somebody, how confounding is that? And Jesus could sift through the lies and the mirage and knew, man, you don't give me power. Everything I have comes from him and his hand. And I'm only going to go where he says go. I'm only going to do what he says do. I'm only going to hold what he says hold. I'm only going to let go of what he says let go. I'm only going to enter where he says enter. I'm only going to exit when he says exit. Jesus was in line and in direction with the Holy Ghost. Staying in step. And here he was holding power. Man, come on, man. What does he do? He reaches for the towel. He doesn't reach for the title and say, I shall forevermore be calleth King Jesus. No. He's like, hey, Judas, could you get one of those gold plaques with my name and title? Peter, let's start making some business cards. No, <laughs> please. Not that there's anything wrong with a, 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 a title for your desk, please, or business cards for that matter. But Jesus grabs the towel, grabs a wash basin. And what is he doing? He's modeling He's modeling for his disciples how this kingdom is going to operate. Because I think, I'll be honest, I think somewhere in the line, Jesus knows that in World War II, there's going to be some ladies who gave their life up as nurses on the battlefield. And they would go along with a white dress, a little red cross, and the wounded soldiers that nobody would go near or had the time to visit, they would go and bind up their wounds, pray over them, care for them. I think Jesus knew that a couple decades after his death, Roman occupation would get so brutal and get so ugly. But the people who followed him in his ways would feed those who had no food, would tend to the sick, that hospitals would be birthed. How? By churches creating rooms on the side of their buildings. 
to care for everybody else. Society says we don't have time and you need to keep distance from. Christ enters in. And Jesus, with all authority, all power, chose a towel over a title. Remarkable example. God is giving us a picture for how his kingdom. And here we are at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Yours is the power. The power. God, I don't want to do things in my own strength. God, no matter how significant or insignificant, none of it matters. It comes up under your leadership, your ways, and it's only through your power the kingdom of God operates. And then that final thought is for the glory of God. And here we enter in to what's coming Friday. Matthew 21, 32 through 44. The glory of God on display in an upside-down kingdom of Rome. That on their greatest day, what they didn't know is God was having his greatest moment in human history. That is, Rome hung up just another Jewish Messiah, so they thought. God had entered humanity and willingly lay down his life that you and I might have life and taste and see that God is good. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha. We can skip down to 38. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults, shaking their heads. In verse 42, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Jesus, we would come to know in some letters in the New Testament, as well as in the end of the Gospels. The story doesn't end on Friday. We know that Sunday was coming, the resurrection and the life. But Jesus was willing to trust God that even with all earthly glory gone, he could trust God in obedience and faith. And the anticipation is that his followers would do the same. That we would remain steadfast. We would remain faithful and consistent in and out of season. We wouldn't just pick the right moments where it feels good to choose him, but we would choose him and his ways in every season. And I'm convinced, I know one of the ways the Lord has held me in seasons is this Lord's Prayer. It has a way of reminding me, and I don't know about you, but I am in need of reminding. It's not about my name, my kingdom, my ways. No, it's about trusting His name, His kingdom, and His ways. Amen? In the book, Lord Teach Us, William Willimon and Stanley Hauerwas they say this, in teaching us to pray, Jesus is making us more truthful, more faithful. Jesus is making us his disciples. 
In praying, our lives are being bent away from their natural inclinations towards God, somebody. We are becoming the very holiness, obedience, forgiveness for which we ask for in the Lord's prayer. And here we are, 2,000 years on, seeking and serving and loving and caring and pardoning when revenge and selfishness is all up in our culture. Here we are as witnesses attesting to the kindness, the goodness, and generosity of God. Amen? Amen. Let's be a people of prayer. I hope in this series that I've inspired you somewhere in the line to begin this habit of prayer, the Lord's Prayer, in the mix, and all the other prayers you pray, all the other devotions you have, once or twice a day, you come up under and say this prayer. Let's close this message in this prayer. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.